Good evening. Oh, goodness. Now that I have your attention. Good evening. Welcome to Tuesday Evening Chapel. Uh, before we begin, I just want to, I need to make an announcement. Um, John Wesley, anybody heard of John Wesley? John Wesley will be here Thursday night, 7.30 p.m. Uh, Roger Nelson has presented the man from Aldersgate for over 28 years. His first or one of his initial presentations was on this campus. And uh, the Lord has used that presentation in a wonderful way. He anticipates being able to take it to Broadway soon. He has uh, some backers who are going to make that possible. So uh, for you to have access to him and that presentation this Thursday evening is probably a once-in-a-generation uh, experience. So uh, make sure that you put on your calendars, bring your family and friends, and you can tell them that you saw John Wesley in person. Spirit and the bride say come, and let him who hears say come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come, and whoever wishes, let him take from the free gift of the water of life. Let's pray. We've heard your invitation. It was a long time ago for some of us, and it's been just now for all of us. Come. We thank you for the privilege of hearing from you, for the grace that it takes to respond. And we ask now that your word and your messenger would accomplish what you have in mind for us, so that we can become more like you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. The children of Israel had been in bondage under Egyptian control for many years. And through the interest of God who had seen them and looked upon them in their misery and spoke to Moses, God delivered them. Following their deliverance, God wanted the children of Israel to know how much interest he had in their freedom. So God says, I'm going to give you ten commandments. Ten commandments not to bind you, but ten commandments to show you how interested I am in your freedom. So he said... You should have no other gods before you, because other gods put you in bondage. But haven't I proven that I set you free? He said, you should not build idols, because if you build idols, you become in bondage to them. But I have set you free. He said, you should, uh, should respect the name of the one who has set you free. So remember that uh, the Lord of God is to be respected, and his name is to be respected. He said, the day that I've set forth as a Sabbath day is set forth because I really am concerned about your rest. And so I'm going to give you a day of rest because I'm interested in you and your needs. He said that family relationships are important, so I'm, I want you to honor your fathers and your mothers and have good family relationships. And your relationships with each other are important, so he talked about the fact that we would not murder or destroy our neighbors or anyone, that we would not commit adultery, 
that we would not steal, that we would not covet or bear false witness against our neighbors, all because God is interested in our freedom. Freedom is what I want to talk about tonight. Paul addresses that issue in Galatians, where I will call your attention this evening. What Paul is addressing as we go to the book of Galatians is a people that had, uh, had lived their life under the new message and the gospel of Jesus Christ that had been given and had set them free. But Paul often meets people where they are, and then his goal is to take them where they need to be. And as pastors, those of you who are going to be pastors, you will meet your people where they are, and then you have the task and the joy of taking them where God wants them to be. And where does Paul find the Galatians? He finds them slipping back into the bondage of legalism, of the law. You know, God had set them free, but here they were slipping back into the, the old legalistic way of the law. And Paul just simply says in the first chapter, verse 6, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of God and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. And then Paul begins to talk about his own testimony of, of how God met him and changed his life. And, and in his testimony, he talks about what you're doing, that he spent three years in education and preparing himself for the ministry that God had called him to. But Paul is, is addressing a people who are slipping back into the judgmental ways of legalism. It had concerned him enough that he had even addressed Peter, who seemed to have become a part of this. You know, it's interesting as I watch Peter. Peter was one that God had to speak to in the early days when he dropped a sheet down in front of him and said, you know, I, I love all people, not just the Jews. You're not just to preach to, uh, to the Jews, you're to preach to all people. And so Peter immediately stepped out on the streets and began to preach the gospel, and hundreds and thousands were saved. But here we find Peter is slipping back into the legalism that God had spoken to him about, and Paul calls his attention to that because there's no freedom when you do that. And so Paul brings us to chapter 5, verse 1, where he says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm, then, and do not let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery, meaning the yoke of the law and the yoke of legalism. This, to me, is the Magna Carta of spiritual emancipation. The, the people in England, they, they, they had to have some freedom. They had to have some relief, and so that's why the Magna Carta came into existence. This is the declaration of independence from from the salvation by works. In these two documents, in these two uh, phrases that I've talked about, the Magna Carta and the Declaration of Independence, they can very well be used to define the theme of Paul's letter to the Galatians. If I were to reduce the 149 verses of this letter of Paul to the Galatians to three words, they would be freedom with hope. God has not just set us free, but he has set us free with some hope. And you know, I'm interested in hope. That's what I preached about at the commencement service this last year, or this year actually. And so uh, I, I really believe that 
Paul is speaking about freedom with the hope that God gives us in the freedom that he is offering to us. Freedom is generally assumed to be the birthright of all men and all women, and yet truly hum humanity is anything but free. Bondage is more likely to be our lot. For some of us, it may be psychological bondage. For others, it may be economic bondage. Finances have just got us down. For others, it may be political bondage. I remember years ago reading a book when I was a young pastor about a, a lady in Brazil. She was a very bright woman, but she was living her life in total poverty, and so someone sat down alongside her and allowed her to write her own story. And, and as I read the book, the ultimate conclusion was that I found that here was a lady who was hopelessly trapped in her poverty and in the life that she was living. I, I've gone out to places that were just total dis disarray, and I thought, this person is totally, hopelessly behind. They're trapped in their being behind on everything. But sometimes we can just get hopelessly trapped in our bondage, whether it's political, whether it's economic, whether it's psychological, whether it's just the fact that we can't find a way out. But Paul, with his profound insight into humanity and to the basic needs of humanity, he has forever made clear that it is only in Jesus Christ that we can be truly free. And for this very reason, Paul is determined that every obstacle should be removed from our path to God. Nothing, Paul is saying, not legalism, shall be allowed to prevent us from experiencing the freedom that comes from and through Jesus Christ. Like the Galatians, ours is a happy experience of knowing that because Jesus Christ and Him alone has come into our life, we can enjoy freedom with hope. We're free, first of all, to be saved by faith. In chapter 2, verse 16, I like those words. It says, we can be set free from bondage to the law and to the works. For the first time in this epistle, the word justifies occurs here in uh, this 16th verse of the second chapter. Here he says, know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Jesus Christ that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law because by observing the law, no one could be justified. For the, ter for the first time, Paul is telling us that the heart of it all is in justification and faith as he writes this epistle. Now justification, or to be justified, means that we have been pronounced righteous. Not just by anyone, but by God himself. He has said we are righteous. That means we are all right in the eyes of God. The righteous by which, or the righteousness by which a man or woman is accepted by God comes not from the fulfillment of any legal enactments, but by faith and faith alone. This is salvation which liberates us from the bondage to the law. If the law cannot save, then what is its purpose, Paul is saying? 
Living Bible says it this way in, in uh, the interpretation of Galatians chapter 3, verse 11. It says, Consequently, it is clear that no one can ever win God's favor by trying to keep the Jewish laws. Because God has said that the only way we can be right in His sight is by faith. As the prophet Habakkuk said it, the man who finds life will find it through trusting God. But Christ has brought us out from under the doom of that impossible system by taking the curse for our wrongdoings upon Himself. So what is the place of the law? The law tells men and women what sin is, and it demonstrates what sin is. But most important, the law drives men and women to God and to the grace of God. The result of the law is that it shows us our weakness. It shows us that, that we can't do it ourselves. It drives us to a despair in which we, we ultimately just have to rely on the mercy of God. We begin to realize that we just can't do it ourselves. We need God more than, more than we could ever imagine. We just can't do it without His mercy. So the rules are not doing it. Paul would have used the word schoolmaster here. And it sort of conceives the law system as a, as a helper to bring us to Christ. It's a schoolmaster that moves us in the right direction, but it is not the direction. It was God's method of preparing the world for the coming of Jesus which appropriates the saving grace of Christ. In uh, chapter 2, verse 19, again the Living Bible, it's, Paul says, For it was through read the reading of the Scripture that I came to realize that I could never find favor in, by trying and failing to obey the laws. I came to realize the acceptance with God comes from believing in Christ. Paul became certain here that through faith Jesus Christ had done for him what he could never have done for himself. And you know, Paul, he was a legalist until he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. He, he, he obeyed the laws, but the laws were not doing it for him. I'm reminded of Martin Luther, who was an example for discipline and for self-denial. Martin Luther himself said, if a man could ever be saved by monkery, then, and, and by the way, the spell checker doesn't have monkery, but that's, that was his word. He said, if ever a man can be saved by monkery, that man was I. He went to Rome. It was considered to be an act of great merit to climb the Scala uh, Sancta on hands and knees. He climbed upwards, seeking the grace that he might win. And there came to him out of heaven, he said, a voice that said, the just shall live by faith. And the life at peace with God was not to be attained through the futile efforts that Martin Luther was involved in. It could only be found by casting ourselves in faith on the mercy of God. It is when we give up our struggle that the saving grace of Christ is ours. And through this freedom, we are free not only to be saved by faith, but we are free to be sanctified and to grow in this grace. And, and now, to be sanctified means to be holy, to be pure, to allow the purity of Christ to become the purity of our life. 
So Paul says in verse 5, one that is our text today, so, and I like the Living Bible again, so Christ has made us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in the, in the chains of slavery to Jewish laws and ceremonies, is the way the Living Bible translates it. So no longer do we serve God as slaves to laws and ceremonies. Rather, we serve Him as people, free to be sanctified, free to be purified, free to grow in grace. And those of us today, and there are those of us today, who maybe we might revert to the error of the Galatians if we're not careful. And Paul is talking about this, reverting back to that, that nature of trying to just do it ourselves and feeling that salvation is just a down payment, but I have to make the payment every day and every day and every day if I'm going to make it. But Paul says that's not the way. He says, being confident of this very thing, that he which has begun a good work in us will complete that work. And so we have the, we have the promise of Christ and of, of Christ himself that he will complete the work that he has started in us. So how are we going to grow in grace? Or how are we going to keep our freedom? Well, I think that Paul is saying, let us just enjoy being free to be purified, to be sanctified through the cleansing, ongoing, continuing work of the Holy Spirit. Now surely you can't, well, this, this is again a translation that uh, is Philip's translation. And I like Philip's because he says it just like it is. So he takes the scripture in Galatians 3.3 and he says, Surely you can't be so idiotic. Now this is Philip's. <laughs> There's one place in Philip's translation where he's talking about Peter who's looking out at people and he said, To hell with them. Now that, that's, that's Philip's translation because that's, that's basically what, what the word said. Well, here he says, you can't be so idiotic as to think that a man begins his spiritual life in the spirit and then completes it by reverting to outward obser observances. That's not the way to complete your life, uh, Philip's is saying. You complete your life by the freedom of being pure and holy before God. So... The words of Zechariah, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. It is by his spirit that we are set free. Our rate of growth is in direct proportion to the degree in which we allow the Holy Spirit to totally occupy, to completely fill us up. Now, it's important for us to know that when we are saved, when we are born again, we get all of the Holy Spirit we will ever get. The Holy Spirit comes into our heart as Christ forgives us of our sin. What happens when we are sanctified is that we surrender our life and we've just sort of limited the Holy Spirit to a small part of our life. And we begin to say to the Holy Spirit, you can have all of me. Not just this little closet, but you can occupy all of my life. And that's an act of surrender that, that a person intelligent in what they're doing can do. Uh, I, I like uh, Romans chapter 12 where it says, I beseech you therefore, brethren. So those words are addressed to Christians. I beseech you therefore, brethren and sisters, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Now we have a body that, that is acceptable because God has forgiven us of our sin. The Spirit is there, but now we have a chance to allow the Spirit to just take charge. Just take control of our life. And, and that's an act of us being willing to give ourselves to God for the Spirit to take control. 
And so this is why Paul says to the born-again believer in chapter 5, verse 18 of Ephesians, be filled with the Spirit. Filled with the Spirit. Here in Galatians 5, 16, he says, So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of sinful nature. That's, that's another part of the blessed life of being filled with the Holy Spirit. You have the helper inside of you, helping you to make the right decisions, reminding you and talking to you about the, the things that are right and wrong and guiding you into all truth. I, I've thought about this life of living in the Spirit. It's sort of like... A, my wife and I were friends. More than that, the first time I saw her, I thought she was the most beautiful person I'd ever known. And, and I, I knew that this was a person that, that just stood out beyond everyone. We were, we were more than just friends. I was struck. Uh, and then uh, through that time, we began to, to get to know each other. And then one day, we stood at an altar, and we committed ourselves to each other as husband and wife. And we meant it. Forty-nine years this next year is a symbol that we meant it. And, and there have been times that there have been struggles and there have been things that we've had to deal with, but the thing is, we meant what we said 49 years ago. Just as much as I meant what I said when I gave my life to God and the Holy Spirit cleansed my heart from all sin. We meant it. I meant it. And so we stepped into a relationship, like I'm stepping up on this platform, we have lived pretty freely in this life as a husband and wife, and I've lived pretty freely in this life as a, as a born-again, spirit-filled Christian. And, and I've been aware of the presence of God, and, and it's, it's a wonderful relationship that she and I enjoy, and it's a wonderful relationship that I enjoy in the Spirit. And there may come times that I, that I move to the edge, and, uh, and uh, there, there may be something that happens in my life uh, that... Uh, that's, that I'm, I'm struggling with. Uh, it, it, could be, it could become sin. There's an issue I'm dealing with. What am I going to do about it? I come to the edge. I think the best example here is I'm at Home Depot. And they think I didn't pay for something I paid for. I step across the edge. I go, long, 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 long. Uh, uh, and so I'm given a warning that I'm on the edge. And I turn around and I go back and I say, here's the bag. Uh, what, what's wrong here? And in, in truth, there may be some occasion where there, there, where there may be something that, that we stepped across the line and we really need to deal with. But through the help of the Holy Spirit, when I come to this point, I never want to step off. I want to keep living up here. I want to keep living with this, this wonderful lady that, that I've enjoyed 49 years with. I want to keep living with the Holy Spirit of God that I met even before I met her. And, and the thing is, I can because the Spirit of God is there to help me to be able to do that. And so because of the indwelling Spirit of Christ, Paul could say the old Saul is dead. And the old personality was it, that was in Saul is dead to sin, but verily striving for righteousness by, by works of law didn't do it. And that old Saul is dead. And so there's a new change in Saul. He has become a Paul. He has become a believer. And now he lives in Christ. And he can't understand why these Galatians are wanting to go back to the law and to the legalism. He says, we have been crucified with Christ. And when Christ is in control of our life, 
our priorities change, and, and we begin to enjoy the Word of God and what God has to say to us. We begin to enjoy talking with God and hearing what God has to say to us in, in, in our own personal prayer ties. We begin to enjoy sharing this faith that God has given to us with others because we know that it can do the same thing for them that it has done for us. We begin to enjoy the fellowship with the people of God instead of wanting to shun it. So we are free to enjoy the presence of the Holy Spirit of God. We are free to live as members of God's family. Again, as we go to Galatians chapter 3, verse 26, Paul says, For now we are all children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. We are no longer Jews or Greeks or slaves or free men or even merely men or, or women, but we are all the same. We are Christians, Paul says, and we are one in Christ. And now that we are Christ, we are the true descendants of Abraham and of all of God's possessions to him belong to us. All of God's possessions to Abraham belong to us. So we are blessed. We have a great family. They're not slaves. They're not just free. They're not men. They're women, but they're the family, the Christians. When we walk through the doors of this building tonight, we walk through not because of, not based on our, our race, not brace, based upon how wealthy we are. We walk through those doors as redeemed people who have been redeemed by the grace of God, and we're living by faith in God. So what does this mean to the church today? It means that some of us, uh, we have to face the fact that we don't have vested rights because of where we live or, or what our color is. It means that the perspective of every person is just as valuable as any other person when we get together because we are the body of Christ. We are the holy people. And it's not because of how many laws we kept, but it's because of the grace that God has given us through His Son, Jesus Christ. And it means that because we are members of God's family, we are kindly affectionate to one another and brotherly love and honor preferring one another, Paul says in Romans 12. It means that we reach out to others, that we witness to others, and that we want to encourage others to enjoy this faith that we have found. It means that we become members of God's family, and we accept all of our family as brother and sister. We don't use the word brother and sister very much, but you know, it's pretty good terminology, and, and I think that I enjoy it. I, I was just talking to one of my friends down in, uh, Georgia today. He'd just taken three truckloads of stuff down into Mississippi. And his wife was driving the car, and I knew that, that this lady is Miss Betty. But I'd just soon to call her Sister Betty because uh, I feel that strongly about her, but it's a Southern characteristic. I don't care what, what our culture is. We are all family. And we are heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. I like the old song, gospel song that says, My father is rich in houses and land. He holdeth the wealth of the world in his hands. Of rubies and diamonds, of silver and gold, his coffers are full. He has riches untold. I'm a child of a king, a child of the king. With Jesus, my Savior, I'm a child of the king. Another characteristic of God's family is that we care for and encourage one another. We, we, we want to be an encourager. In everything we do, in, in Galatians 6, 3, it says, If anyone thinks he is too great 
to stoop to this, or his brother or sister. He is fooling himself. He is really a nobody, Paul says. You know, he, he just makes it pretty straight here when he talks to us. He is a nobody. Paul states that when a man or woman does slip, it's the Christian's duty to go help that person back to God and, and to not just say, well, let them go, but we need to be involved in trying to bring them back. And then he begins to talk about the fruits of the Spirit there in Galatians 5, verse 22. Uh, the fruits of the Spirit are so wonderful. This is the kind of life that ought to be ours, 5:22. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. He's been talking about the law, and he says there's no law against this. This is the characteristic of the Christian. Thank God. And we are productive as Christians. Let everyone be sure, he says in chapter 6, that he or she is doing their very best, for then they will have the personal satisfaction of a work well done. Grace brings hope. Grace and freedom. Freedom brings not only hope, but it also brings productivity in our lives, so we are free to serve. There's an old spiritual that captures the spirit of Paul's words, I think. Spiritual goes like this. Way down yonder in the graveyard walk, me and my Jesus going to meet and talk. On my knees when the light passed by, through my soul would rise and fly. Thought my soul would rise and fly. Some of these mornings bright and fair, going to meet Jesus, King Jesus in the air. Free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, I'm free at last. Through faith in Jesus Christ, through the grace that we have in Jesus Christ, we are free. Free to be brothers and sisters. Free to be one in the family of God. Free to walk through this world with confidence that there is hope for the future because the promise of God is our promise. Enjoy your freedom. Don't slip back into bondage are my words to you tonight. God bless you. Father, this evening we know that throughout history you've had one desire, and that is to set us free. You delivered the children of Israel. You gave them the commandments so that they would stay free. You gave us Christ so that we could enjoy freedom. And we tend to slip back into bondage. Don't let us do that. Help us to have the smile of a born-again Christian, the joy in our heart, the hope of eternal life, because we know in our spirits that there came a moment in our life when Christ set us free, and we know that we've allowed the Holy Spirit to control our life and to make us what you want us to be. I pray in Jesus' name. Answer prayer here as these needs are brought to you at this altar. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Go in peace.